Before you could speak, before you could eat or cook, run, swim, before you were even born, a system was put into place. A powerful system that would get stronger with repetition. When we use this system, we call it thought. Thinking creates pathways that eventually led you to be able to successfully speak, eat, run, swim. Each time you travel down a pathway, the easier it gets. Making pathways is what determine your habits, attitudes, and actions. But sometimes we form pathways to places that are destructive. Destructive habits, destructive attitudes, and destructive actions. The only way to change your path is to go back and change your thinking so that you can create positive habits, positive attitudes, positive actions. You can use this powerful system to change your life. Let's begin. Hello and welcome. How's everybody doing today? It's good to see you. Also, would love to welcome everybody from around the world who joins us weekly for Church Online. I need you guys to help me. We don't usually do this, but I'm gonna count to three and I want everybody to say as loud as you can, hey, Church Online. Okay, this is for you guys. Ready? One, two, three. See, we're, you're a part of us. We're a part of you. We're so glad to have you. Yes. And so uh, what I love is that we are a community that wants to just grow in God, that we are about loving God and loving people. No perfect people allowed. We're all on this journey together. And uh, so we're so glad you decided to be with us this week for week two of our Mastermind series. These are always two-week mini-series although I think we broke that rule once in the past. We did three. Uh, but we talked last week about the power of our words. How many of you uh, did the seven-day word challenge or tried to do the seven-day word challenge? I am the worst leader and worst communicator and worst influencer. I know. If you're online, one person raised their hand. One. Uh, so, okay, well, again, there goes my, there goes my hopes of the, the largest offering in church history. Um, how many of you started it and it started costing you way too much money? Oh, that's the right question to ask. Oh, okay, very good. Well, we talked about the power of our words last week and was incredible, and I'm excited to dive back into it. Quick, brief reminder, if you've never been here before, if you weren't here for Mastermind last week, is this is centered around one topic that we believe if we would change our perspective or thinking about would actually have a positive outcome in our actions and our behavior. Paul, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament teaching Jesus followers how to actually follow Jesus, says it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. He says, let the Spirit change your way of thinking. Uh, there's an idea that when we accept Jesus into our lives and we, we decide to follow him, that the same Spirit that raised him from the dead lives inside of us, and he wants to change the way we think. The, the main message of the New Testament apostles and Jesus was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that word repent is this Greek word metanoao, which is a combination of two words, which literally means change or metamorphosis and your mind or your thinker or change what you know. And so again, even the authors of the Bible, our, the, our teachers, our spiritual forefathers, including Jesus himself, introduced and invited us with this idea of I want you to change the way you see things or the way you think and the way you perceive because what they knew then is what psychology has, has taught us now is that what we think dictates how we feel, how we feel dictates how we act and behave. And so if we want to actually truly experience behavior modification 
or transformation or freedom or, in, or anything like that. We can't try harder to be better. We have to think differently about some things. Amen? So that's what we have going on. And so, uh, so we're gonna dive into that this week uh, with a different topic that I think it maybe will uh, be challenging for some of us, but it also may really help some of us through maybe a difficult time. But before we do that, let me ask you this question. And this was a similar question that was asked on Instagram and Facebook. Um, did you ever think something was true and then later found out it wasn't exactly the way you thought? Did you ever, were you ever like convinced maybe as a, a, a elementary school student or a high schooler or you were just convinced something was a certain way and then you either got more information or gained some experience and you're like, oh, it's different. Um, I have all kinds of these. Most of them are really embarrassing. I have no problem embarrassing myself. Uh, but a similar one was I remember being in like second or third grade and um, we were talking about house cleaning and chores or whatever and somebody talked about cleaning the bathrooms and I don't know why I felt the need to volunteer this information but I raised my hand in front of my entire class and I says, oh, we never clean our bathrooms. My mom does not clean our bathrooms. <laughs> and, uh, and the teacher goes, oh, Mr. Demel, I'm sure your mom. And I was, and I was like, I was gonna, there was a hill I was gonna die on. I was like, no. She does not clean the bathrooms. We don't clean the bathrooms. And, and again, in my like nine-year-old mind, I had never seen my mom clean the bathroom. Therefore, my mom does not clean the bathrooms. And so apparently this came up at parent-teachers conferences a few weeks later. Um, and my mom, they said, A, um, we're really proud of you for the grades you get. All of your teachers tell us you talk too much. And we want you to know that we clean the bathrooms every week while you're at school. Just because you didn't see it happen doesn't mean it actually happened. Didn't actually happen. Um, on a more serious note, I remember meeting uh, some, some people who are friends now, but I remember meeting them years and years ago, and I remember the first time we met them, uh, that the, uh, his wife was just really like cold, kind of mean, kind of cutting, and, you know, kind of like one of those deals where it's, you're not trying to make it awkward, but in your head going like, what's her deal? Uh, and uh, so I had just kind of convinced, like, this was not a night person, like, you kind of made a bad choice, but you said I do, so there it is. Um, and... Uh, We can talk about that tonight if you want. Uh, but, uh, and I was like, man, it, you know, I was like, I don't know about, about this. And then, um, I don't, you know, you know how inevitably it is your shirt. It's like, man, this is not a nice person. Like, she just needs some, like, niceness lessons. And then um, you find out, like, in the same week, her dad died and her mom got cancer. And you're like, oh, that changes everything. Like, in the same week, lost her dad unexpectedly, tragically, and, and, between that and the funeral, found out mom has stage three or stage four cancer. I'm like, why, did, why would you even come to dinner with us? But it's interesting how you learn a little bit more or you get some more information or what you know changes and all of a sudden, your perspective or your idea, again, whether it's about a relationship or a religion or, or an idea, totally changes. We asked you this on social media uh, and we had a, some great response. We said, what's something you've changed your mind about? Uh, and again, I, love, I loved the, the nebulism of that question because it got all kinds of great answers from you people. Um, and so uh, some people said, parenting today versus back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, I've changed my mind about maybe there's some parenting strategies that do and don't work somebody was talking about. Um, something that said, I am no longer going to battle with my husband about his socks on the floor next to the hamper. I'm just gonna be like Elsa and let it go. Um, <laughs> this, apparently this was a hill to die on and no longer is. Uh, I have changed my mind. Tom Brady. Uh, <laughs> I will actually admit I am in that camp. Uh, I'm a big fan. He's beating time. Like, I, you know, he's a little bit older than me. I'm like, let's do this, Tom. We're about the same age. Let's just stay young together, man. Um, 
I know neither one of us look 53. Uh, it's because we aren't, okay? Um, where, what, something you changed about, where to go out to dinner at, or was that my wife that changed my mind? Yes, that's a fair question. Uh, so I think that's all, is there one more, or is that it? I think that's the last one. Um, but we've all had things that we've changed our mind about, and so this week, I'd love to maybe, uh, I'd love to maybe explore this idea of perhaps God wants something to say to us, or maybe some of us would experience a little more joy, a little more peace, a little bit less stress, a little bit anxiety, if God were able to help us to see a little bit more the way he does about some of the hard times and challenges and difficulties in our lives. So this week, I wanna talk about changing the way we think about hard things, about challenges. I wanna change, invite us to take a journey for the next 20 or 30 minutes to change the way we think about difficult things. And, and more than look at psychology and here's what Pastor Corey thinks because he's all of 41 years old and he's so smart, uh, is I'm only really interested in, I would, that was a joke, uh, I don't think that's true at all. Um, I'd rather just see what the word of God has to say. I, I'm more interested in what the word of God has to say because uh, that is, as I've been mentioning many weeks, anything good that comes out of me is only because of God and his word. And so um, let's see what the Bible has to say. And this is a, a challenging passage. It's, um, uh, it's one that I think sometimes it's easier just to avoid. It's like, ah, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. Uh, but again, we're not one of those churches that we pick our favorite parts and ignore the other parts. We're not one of those churches that pick our favorite parts and ignore the other parts. We're gonna take all of God and all of his word for who he is, and we're not gonna just think that maybe we should make God into our image, but we're gonna look to see who he really is, and we were actually created in his image. So, um, so um, we're gonna read an interesting letter from the book of James. Fascinating about James. I think you need to know and understand things about the Bible when it's written. James uh, is a letter that was written by James, and um, James was the half-brother of Jesus. So what you need to know, half-brother, because um, Joseph was his dad, not the creator. Um, but they had the same mom. Her name was Mary. And James grew up in the same house as Jesus. Uh, but James did not believe Jesus was God. That's easy to think about, right? Like, some of you are like, how could he not think? Would you, how would you feel if your older sibling was like, hey, by the way, I'm the Savior. I'm God. You're like, yeah, right. Okay. So James actually grew up with Jesus and didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until after Jesus was resurrected. Only, only after he rose from the dead, it all clicked, and he was like, oh my gosh, my brother is God. Yeah, I feel like Jesus is like, I've been trying to tell you, like 33 years. <laughs> in fact, if you read the book of Jude, also in the New Testament, that's true about Jude. Jude and James were both half-brothers of Jesus who grew up with Jesus, and they were like, oh, I'm God. Here he goes again. Like, oh my God, he was right. He did it. Um, and so James, you have to understand, James went from like this cynic, this like Jesus might be a decent dude, okay, big brother, but definitely not who he says he is, definitely not Messiah, definitely not. So if you've ever been like, man, I question religion, I question Jesus, I, like you actually have what it takes to be a half sibling of Jesus. So maybe you're not as far away from God, maybe you're not so far gone, maybe it's okay to bring some questions, and maybe just maybe rather than God shun you, he will just continue to prove himself over and over and over again in your life until you have an aha moment where he's like, man, you are who you say you are, you are good, and I wanna give you my life. Because that's more how Jesus is, not like, well, then I'll have nothing to do with you. So James went from a cynic to Jesus raised from the dead. He's like, well, guess you can't argue with that. Uh, and so, uh, and, and if James is writing about Jesus being like the Savior, you know it's true, right? Because I would ask you this question, what would you have to do to convince your siblings you're God? What would you have to do for your brother and sister to go, oh, my goodness, I think he's God. Like, that, that, I promise that thought never crossed your sibling's mind, ever. They never once thought, like, is she God? 
My, my brother might be God. No, that didn't happen. And so, uh, like, we got some pretty good reasons here that Jesus might actually be who he said he was. And so James starts his letter out, and I say that to you because I want you to pay attention to the, how he starts the letter. And he starts with the first sentence, and usually the first sentence of some of these letters is what I would call, I probably shouldn't, but I call it the skip over letter. I'm like, yeah, 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 let's get to the good stuff. But it's really important to know that because James says this. Saying, James chapter one, verse one, here's his letter. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, if I was Jesus's brother, I would lead with that. Like if I was writing a letter and I wanted to convince you of some things, I would be like, James, the brother of Jesus. Like, I know you think he's awesome, but I grew up with him. Like we share, we like, we share the same mama. Like, you know what I mean? But James, what I think is so cool is he so had appreciated, understood, and had awe and reverence for who Jesus was. He actually, as he chose to introduce himself to the entire world for all of history, he didn't see brotherhood with Jesus something to be sought. And so he chose to describe himself. And I love the humility of James. He says, I'm a servant of God and I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, what would you have to do to write a letter to say, I'm a servant of the Lord and then put in your sibling's name right there. So this guy's like had a major transformation, a major change of mindset, maybe a mastermind moment. Why? Because he's seen Jesus do some stuff. And so he's gonna write about his experience of life of following Jesus, but he knows what it's like on both sides of the coin. Come on, somebody. And so he says this, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. At this point, it's chaos, it's bad, Rome is winning, the, the Jews have been driven out of Israel, Jerusalem, they're in the northern country, like it's not good. And so he's writing a letter that he hopes makes a circulation to get to all of them, to encourage them. And he's like, <laughs> he's like to the 12 tribes, and this is so funny, like, I feel like I know James through these, this, this little bit right here. Um, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered, greetings. Like one where like, sup, greetings is like 2,000 years ago for sup. And so like, again, you would think he's about to come with all this warm stuff and he goes right and he's like, servant of Jesus, sup, here's what I gotta say. And he jumps right into it, like greetings. You get a one word greeting and then he's gonna come with the truth. He says, uh, verse two, go ahead, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Imagine getting this letter. James, brother, Jesus, what's up? Let me tell you something, it's really good when you go through hard times. Again, I get that letter. I'm like, well, who does he think he, oh, he's Jesus's brother. I guess we should keep reading. He says, he, I mean, he comes, I love that he comes with the one word. Hey, hope you're well. By the way, you should, you should like consider it joy when, when trials come your way. Like hold the butt. Could we ease into this a little bit, James? Could we just pump the brakes? Can we have like an intro, like three points, a sub point, and then we get to the hard stuff? And he says, Consider it pure joy. And again, you gotta understand there's persecution. Jesus is risen from the dead. The followers of Jesus are, are growing exponentially. They're already starting to kill and martyr them. They're getting driven out. And he's like, this is good stuff, y'all. And he doesn't just say, hey, it's good. He's about to tell us why. He says, consider it joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, what James is talking about is that there's, there's certain qualities that Jesus followers have that will make us salt and light. And he says, hey, perseverance is gonna be a key to this following Jesus. Because when Jesus came on the scene, he wasn't very popular. In fact, he was so unpopular that his religion killed him in Rome and the, and the politics signed off on it. And then he rose back from the dead and they were like, well, he is who he says he was. And they all started following him and they actually started hating Jesus even more. But he went to heaven and so instead of go after him, he was gone. Great move, actually. I never thought about it like that. He's like, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. You know, I don't know. Like, uh, but so, so what they do? They started killing his followers. 
They, I mean, they're throwing them off of temples and they're, they're martyring them. They're hanging them upside down. And he's like, hey, this is okay because what will mark us is not this pursuit of worldly life and worldly comfort, but perseverance. We are a persevering group of people. And he says, consider it joy because the testing of your faith, when you have to stand up for what you believe, when you actually become marked, you have an opportunity to grow your perseverance. Well, why does perseverance matter? Well, he says that in the next verse, verse four. He says, because, and he says, then let, let perseverance finish its work, okay, so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. Okay, now James is talking to me, like for real. Like trials, hard pass, perseverance, okay. Mature, yeah, I want that. Complete, yeah, I'm interested. Lacking nothing, okay, James, talk to me. And so he's connecting going through hard times either has the ability to make us or break us. And perhaps it's not as much what happens to us as how we view it, how we choose to see it and what we do with it. We may not even be the cause of it. We may not be responsible. But he says, when it comes, you have the ability to let this derail you or it has the ability to define you and it can make you who you are meant to be. Several years ago, a man named Wilder Penfield did some brain research. In fact, he was the one who uh, uh, really kicked off neuropathology at Oxford. And he studied uh, in his lifetime over 1,100 different patients who had epileptic, epileptic seizure. And he, wanted to talk about, and he wanted to learn how to come back memories. And so he worked with some neurons and, and some electrical charges. And he found that even people who had lost their memory or had seizures, he was able to help them vividly come back with very vivid memories. Some of them before their memories were even old enough to be recalled. Some of them could describe train stations. Some of them would replay uh, 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 songs in their head that they heard when they were, when they were toddlers. Um, and they would have these vivid uh, memories and flashbacks. And, and, and so what he discovered is that we have this amazing ability to, to, ha- to have memories, to, to, to remember things. And and our, our minds are these fascinating things. And sometimes our minds remember things and sometimes they uh, forget. But what he, was, uh, what he discovered was uh, that some of them would mem- vividly remember some very hard, challenging, hurtful, painful things. And then all of a sudden, the reality and the emotion would come back and they would replay these challenges, these trials, uh, abandonment, abuse, different types of things. And it would come back so fast. See, our ability to remember our, our, our ability to bring back old memories is a gift from God, and it's a, very, it's a very important gift from God. But it also comes with this caveat because sometimes we don't actually remember things accurately. You ever notice the further you get away from an event, the, 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 maybe the more foggy the details were, and how many of us we misremember enough that we've created an alternate reality because our memories are both selective and subjective. They're not always right. And here's why that matters. And here's why it matters to what James is talking about. Because when we remember yesterday the wrong way, that means we're actually living a lie today. When we misremember or we misreplay, it, it can be a lie about somebody else. It can be a lie about ourselves. And so, uh, uh, so often we try to repress or reject or get as far away from we can challenges and hard things. When in fact, perhaps God is going, I want you to deal with the truth and the reality of this. Because if we can deal with what happened yesterday, we can live in truth and freedom and joy today and moving forward tomorrow as well. And sometimes, whether consciously or subconsciously, we misremember because our past is too painful. But, but I want to tell some of us today, and some of, some of us, we need to hear this, because we have been trying so hard to avoid trials, to, 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 to forget that hard thing, like Pastor talked to me about anything else in this. But here's what I have learned in, in, my, in my few years here as adulthood and, and leadership and just knowing people and, and having my own pain and, and, and challenges is that if I don't own the past, 
the past will absolutely own me. If I don't own the past, if I don't acknowledge the truth and the reality and deal with reality about my past, rather than try to create and spin and trick everybody else, including myself, I will continue to be a subject. I will continue to be a slave to my past. And that's really, really hard. That's a hard thing to read because some of us, we have some memories we are doing. We have some challenges and some trials. We would do anything we could to make go away and never have to deal with again. And here's what I would say to some of us. And some of us, I, I think God wants to change how we think about this because he wants to set us free and experience the fullness of what he has for us here and now. And, and, and there's no way you've sat, you've been in life very long and you have things that have been hurtful, challenges, difficult to go through. Some, that may, some of you have stories that uh, I know a little bit about that are unbelievable. I can't even believe that you're even sitting here tonight or today or wherever your story is. But if we don't own that, that thing is gonna own us. And here's what I have learned, and this is probably the hardest part about challenges and when we have things that have happened to us, is you may not be responsible, but you are response-able. And what I mean is, it may not have been anything you did. You didn't deserve those things to happen. It was crazy. You never should have experienced that. You are not responsible, but you are able, in fact, to respond. You get to choose what your response is going to be. Now, unfortunately, some of our lives have been marked by somebody who was responsible and they made our life a lot harder than it ever needed to be and that God ever wanted it to be. But that doesn't change the fact that we are still the ones who have to choose how we are going to respond. As one of my pastor friends says, it may not be your fault, but it is your issue. It may not be your fault, but it is my, it is your problem. And here's what I came to tell you, and this is the good news that I think God wants to shape us, and this is what James is talking about, is God actually can give you the power and give you the comfort and give you the wisdom that he will walk and see you through it. And James is saying, if you will be willing to go through it, if you will actually look at this as an opportunity, it can actually change and shape you into the person God wants you to be. God never would have caused that, but because somebody else's free will imposed it on your life, he actually can still use it for you to be and do who he always made you to be and do what he always made you to do. He's given you the power. Some of you, somebody needs to hear that this weekend. God has given you the power to go through the very thing you've been doing your best to avoid. You've been doing your best to avoid. And God will do it. And it'll be hard work, but it'll be the most freeing, liberating thing and you won't regret a day of your life that you did the hard work. Have you ever noticed how two people can encounter the very same obstacle with two very, very different outcomes? Two people can get divorced. Two people can get cancer. Two people can go bankrupt. Two people can have their businesses shut down. And yet one, it sends one direction and one the other direction. Why? Because we may not be responsible, but we are response able. It's, it's what do we do with that? And here's, here's what, I, uh, the, kind of the, what I just want to talk about, just give you a couple thoughts on for a minute. How do we do this? How do we do what James is talking about? It, it takes a, a mental shift. And this is what I would, I would say. It's, it's this. The obstacle, we have to learn to see that the obstacle you encounter is not the enemy. It may actually be the way. What do I mean by that? The obstacle is actually the way. I'm not saying God caused it, but what I'm saying is it is your reality, your unavoidable reality. And so now, rather than go, how do I get out of this? Maybe we need to learn to ask, how do I go through this and get everything I can from it so I can become mature, complete, lacking nothing. And this is, this is James, who's talking about, by the way, knows he, they went through all of it. So all the stuff, the, the, the persecution and the martyring and all that, like, you don't know how hard it is. Yes, I do. And, and what James knew was, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get any better. And the pursuit of comfort is a myth. So rather than 
just be victims our whole lives, we actually have to look at the obstacle is the way. Charles Spurgeon, um, great theologian from the 1800s, wrote 150 books, uh, started Bible colleges. Uh, many, many people read Spurgeon. Uh, he's credited by coining this, this statement. He says, I have learned, they ask, how have you uh, gone through such hard things and how have you made it this far? He says, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And so I wanna talk about, just for a minute, kissing the wave, because what you may not know about Charles Spurgeon, I didn't know this. Spurgeon is one of the founding fathers of modern, uh, modern Western evangelicalism. His stuff is just so rich and so deep. But what I didn't know is when he was 22 years old, he had just been uh, put in as the new pastor of the Metropolitan, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. And uh, when he was 22 years old, he stepped on stage, similar to this, only there were 10,000 people. And uh, it was in the London Surrey Garden Music Hall. And halfway through his message in Proverbs 33, somebody yelled, fire! And there was a fire in the back. And there were people trying to get in, people trying to get out, and one of the balconies collapsed. And, and, and one of his first preaching sessions ever, seven people died and 20-something people were se severely injured. And Charles Spurgeon said, I never want to read the Bible, I never want to preach, and I don't want to do this again. In fact, if you look at his, he was pretty open about his battles with depression, he was melancholy. It shaped him for the rest of his life. And so when Charles Spurgeon says, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me up against the rock of ages, that's not some cute quote. That's some guy who stepped into his calling and his dream and at the biggest night of his life, the worst, most unimaginable thing happened and he was blamed both privately and publicly. If you wouldn't have gathered those people, if you wouldn't have done this, then they would have still been alive. And what Spurgeon is saying and what James is saying is we're not saying we're gonna ignore what happened. We're not gonna pretend it didn't happen. It's this, it's this both and world of I'm going to um, confess what's wrong. I'm gonna agree with reality, the cancer, the divorce, the, 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 the financial challenges, but I'm going to profess what's right, that God is still on the throne, that he is worthy, that he still calls me his son or his daughter, that he knows the plans he has for me and he has not left me here in this moment. He's never gonna leave me or forsake me. And sometimes the profession is, I hate that this is true, but at least I'm not alone. And sometimes the very thing that God, that we are asking to get out of is maybe the very thing that God is using to help shape us into who he made us to be. We don't want to talk about that in America, but it's true sometimes. Again, am I saying God causes bad things? No, I'm saying he uses everything. What's right is God's healing power, his comfort, his provision, his sovereignty. And so I want to talk about this idea of kiss the wave. I wanted to give you three quick thoughts on how do I kiss the wave? How do I consider it joy to experience perseverance? How do I kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. By the way, the rock of ages is another name for Jesus, if you didn't know that. When he says kiss the wave, what, 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 what Charles Spurgeon and what James are not talking about is what we have here in Southwest Florida. Go ahead and throw up that first picture. He's not talking about, oh, kiss the wave. Like, I think kiss the wave. I went to the beach and oh, it was perfect in paradise and yay. Like, that's not what Spurgeon is talking about. He's talking about kiss this wave. He's talking about the wave that knocked you over. He's talking about the wave that took you out, the wave that knocked over, the, the wave that about took you, knocked you over, if you can learn to kiss that thing and, and ask, what have you come to teach me? Perhaps you can get something out of this. What are we talking about? We're talking about the cancer diagnosis. We're talking about financial challenges. We're talking about the divorce. We're talking about the abuse. I'm talking about the thing that's so hard. And so how do we kiss the wave? Three thoughts. Number one, we have to learn to ask this question. What have you come to teach me? There's a story of a uh, well-known pastor uh, who recently, it, his wife went through a battle of cancer and it was pretty, it kind of rocked them, it rocked their church, large church in the, in the metro area of, of Washington, D.C. 
and, and she was kind of journaling and chronicling her, her journey and, 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 and came through it. And, and somebody asked, like, how were you able to come through this? What did you learn? How were you able not just to beat cancer, but to have such a positive outlook and have faith in Jesus and still pray for people and believe for healing, even though it wasn't happened? And, and she said uh, early on in her bout, while they were asking all the questions and what stage and how long and what about our kids and graduation and all this, she said, I learned to ask this question one of my prayer times. I looked at that cancer and I said, what have you come to teach me? Her name was Laura. And she said, asking that question helped me not just to focus on the problem that I could not control, but it helped me to focus on the God who was gonna walk me through the problem and when we could focus on where he was, what he was doing and what was on the other side. See, sometimes when we find ourselves in difficult situations, we get so focused on getting out of the situation that we actually don't get anything out of the situation. And perhaps God is going, hey, I don't want to waste a moment. I wouldn't have wished this upon you, but this world is broken. It's why we should look forward to the eternity with him in heaven and forever. He says, until then, I don't waste a moment. So rather than just saying, get me out of this, perhaps there's a second part of that prayer, but until then, help me to get everything out of this that I can. By the way, this is super real to me because I, I served under a man who was a pastor who was in a wheelchair. When he was 40 years old, he lost all feeling from his armpits down because of a car accident. I lived in their home as an intern. I served for 16 years under him. I never heard him complain. I never heard him ask why. I watched him lead a large church. I, took, I carried him up the Great Wall of China when we went on a mission trip in 2007 to China. I sat under a man who had every reason to go, well, the, the, the world gave me a bad a bad, you know, rap and a bad hand, but he never let it stop, uh, use it to be, uh, he never let it be a reason to let him stop being who God called him to be. He learned to kiss the wave. And it was, it was motivating, it was challenging, it was, it was an honor to serve under that kind of faith and that kind of perseverance, that kind of maturity. Challenges, hard times, pain, grief will find us all. And when it does, it actually has the ability to enrich our lives if we would ask, what have you come to teach me? What can I get out of this? It doesn't mean you have to pretend to like it. It doesn't mean you have to pray for it. It doesn't mean you have to say, I hope it's like this, but it's the reality of the world that goes, unless or until this changes, what can I glean and learn from it? And that's why one person goes this way and one person goes this way with the divorce, with the cancer, with the bankruptcy, with the addiction. The second part, number one, you have to ask, what have you come to teach me? Number two, just remember, I already said it, the obstacle is the way. I told you about Charles Spurgeon. He was terrified. In fact, he never preached that message again, ever. He was terrified to get back on a stage, but once he eventually did, do you know what he would go on to do? Write 150 books, start 66 charities, start a college. He would be one of the modern authors of the, America, of the of, I'm sorry, of the Western faith in the modern era. He bowed depression. He pastored the largest church in the world. Why? Because somewhere along the lines, he realized that the obstacle was the way and he learned to ask the question, what have you come to teach me? And he would even say that that moment, he would never choose to relive, shaped who he was and, and drove a lot of how he preached and how he led. I'm not saying God caused it, but I'm saying God can use it. I'm convinced and I have experienced this in our lives and in, in our family that if we would learn to lean into God and kiss the wave, that we actually can come out on the other side stronger and kinder and wiser. But it's not easy and it's not gonna just happen. We have to change the way we think about the thing that, man, I wish this would change. I, this hard thing, this challenging. 
maybe God wants to use it even until it does. Because here's what I've found in my journey with God. I've been following Jesus my whole life. Sometimes God delivers us from the suffering. And sometimes God delivers us through the suffering. But either way, he's never gonna leave you or forsake you. He has a plan and you can become who he made you to be if you will learn to kiss the wave and consider it joy when you face a challenge because the testing of your faith will develop perseverance and that will lead to you experiencing the maturity and the perseverance and you can be a person who lacks nothing. Don't go around the obstacle. Go through the obstacle. Third thing, learn to kiss the wave. Remember the obstacle is the way. But the only way you're really gonna get through this is number three. You have to direct your attention on God and his word. You have to direct your attention on God. If you look at what everybody else is saying, by the way, there's a 42 book, 42 chapter book of the Bible called Job, where for about 38 chapters, he gets really bad advice from really well-meaning people who follow God. They all had reasons why his life had fallen apart and all of them were wrong. And what got Job through it was not listening to anybody else around him, but it was his faithfulness to God and and experiencing and staying with what God had to say for him. Our attention has to be on God and his word. And some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But let me just talk to that for a minute. Dr. Henry Cloud tells a great story and it goes something like this. I'm gonna mess it up, so I'm gonna kind of use it my own way. But there was a man who kept having migraines and he would go to the doctor. He's like, hey, doc, I got migraines. He's like, okay, like, tell me about it. And he would diagnose. He's like, hey, here's the prescription. I got this prescription. Just go take this and uh, it should take care of your migraines. So he comes back and uh, about two weeks later, how are the migraines? He goes, man, you know, I took your prescription and nothing happened and I'm still in pain and, and so I still got migraines. So he's like, all right, let me write you another prescription. Comes back, you'll see me in two more weeks. Comes back in two more weeks. Goes, yeah, I got these migraines and I, I, I took your prescription. I, I, I took it and, and I'm still getting the migraines. He's like, well, what, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, he goes, every time I leave your office, you tell me to go, you write a prescription for the pain meds. I take the prescription, I eat the paper and nothing happens. <laughs> and the doctor goes, the paper just tells you what to do. In order for you to get changed or healed, you have to actually take the medicine. You can't eat the paper. And some of us have a hard time with this because we'd rather eat the paper than take the medicine. We just want a quick fix. We want the prescription. We want somebody else. Somebody tell me what I, and the medicine is, God, I'm gonna put my life in your hands. Jesus, I'm gonna trust you and your world words, not just this crazy world that doesn't know you. You can't just eat the paper. You gotta take the medicine. And for some of us, We're so focused on being self-sufficient. Perhaps God wants you to lean on him a little bit more. We can't ever be the types of people who confuse self-sufficiency with spiritual maturity. God never called us to be self-sufficient. You know what he called us to do? Trust in him with all of our heart and lean not to our own understanding and all of our ways acknowledge him and he will guide and direct our paths. By the way, I got that from his word. Just shameless plug for the Bible. I'm just gonna keep shamelessly plugging it till we're all reading it every day because I don't want you just to eat the paper. I want you to take the medicine. How do, we, how do we consider it joy? This right here. What if we became a type of people who we learned to kiss the wave and no matter what came our way, do we wish it happened? No. Are we happy about it? No. Do we want it to stay? No. But we have a peace and we have a joy that my God is able, that he's gonna be with me, whether it's on the mountaintop or I have to go through the mountain, he is with me. He can get me through this. That yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That, that, by the way, that Psalm 23 doesn't say, I'm never gonna have to go through a shadow of death because God's with me. That's what we want it to say, right? Comfortable Americans? We do. We want it to say, I'll never have to go through anything bad because God is with me. The Bible never says that anywhere. It says, yea, though I walk 
Whether I'm on the highest mountain or in the deepest valley, you are there. That's what David said. That's, that's our faith. And so if you're looking for a feel-good religion that tells you the closer you get to God, everything's going to be okay. There's plenty of those out there, but we ain't one of them. Because that's not what the Bible says. But the Bible says is you can consider it all joy if we learn to kiss the wave. And some of you are going through some hard things. And maybe just maybe God's going to deliver you through it. But maybe just maybe he wants to mold you and shape you through it. And if you change the way you think, the timeline's going to be the timeline either way. And you can come out on the other side, the best version of yourself. And people can go, how did you do that? And you go, oh, I could never do this on my own. But I serve a God who is with me, who can take the worst situation and make something great out of it. It's this idea that, that, that actually um, prompted what we know as the serenity prayer. Many of you probably know this. God, grant me the wisdom to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Maybe some of the energy you've been trying to change a situation you're not in control of, you could put that energy and attention on God and go, what are we gonna do with this? What, do we, what did you come to teach me? How can I kiss the wave? How can I come out of this on the other side better, closer to you, healthy, healed, whole? If you are not a Christian, if you do not follow Jesus, what I'm aware of at this point in this message, I sound like a complete lunatic. Because it's crazy. The world doesn't understand. But if you are a Jesus follower, there's something in you going, yep. Because you've probably been there. You've probably been through it. You've been through a version. Or some of you are going, man, this is what I needed. And so I would invite you, maybe if you've never been a Jesus follower, if you're like, I want this to be true, it would start with saying, I want to be a follower of Jesus. We would love to introduce Jesus to you. We'd love to pray with you. But I want to invite you to look differently, to think differently about some of the challenges you face and ask perhaps, God, even though I wouldn't choose this, how would you choose to make me more like you through this? I've asked the worship team to uh, sing a song. It, it's a song I'm just loving right now. And it's literally a prayer. And so I thought it'd be appropriate for us to end and, and, and sing this song maybe as a prayer. So we're gonna put the words up. I'm gonna invite you if you're physically able to stand all around this place. And as we sing this a couple times through, I wanna, I wanna encourage you not just to look at the words on the screen, but ask yourself, am I ready to mean this in my heart? Because if you will make this your prayer, I believe God will help you start to change the way you think about some of the challenges you're either going through or the ones you went through that you're trying to avoid that perhaps he's saying, I want to walk you through this. Let's sing this together, and then I'll pray us out. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you in the mountains in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. I will praise you in the valley all the same.
Father, I thank you that you have the truth and the words of life, even when they're more challenging to hear. God, I know that all of us wish we wouldn't have to have pain from our past or go through difficult things or difficult times, but God, I thank you that you have given us your son. You've given us your peace and your presence even to walk through it. And so God, I pray that these words would resonate in our hearts and minds, that we would change the way we think about some of the stuff we've endured in our past or some of the things we're going through right now, that, that rather it's not punishment from you, it's a broken world. And, and, and rather than just go, man, how can I get out of this? We would ask, what can I get out of this? That we would learn to let this shape us and mold us into who you have made us to be. God, that we would, would grab scriptures and we would grab songs like we just sang to hold on to the truth. And God, I believe that as we, as followers of Jesus, would latch on to you in times like this, it will cause a world to take notice. That you would get glorified, that you would get exalted. And God, for anybody who feels like they just can't hold on, that they, they are in an impossible situation, that you, would be, that you would have reminded them this day, that you see them, that you are with them. And this moment, this time, this season is not wasted, that if they will stick with you, if they will remain patient and, and, and persevere, that you have something better on the other end. I pray that we would walk out with hope and God, that we would be able to experience your peace and your joy even in the midst of trials as we allow you to make us who you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.